Jonah 1, 5 to 16. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, <coughs> O Lord, <coughs> have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from his ra- from its raging. <coughs> then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had a time where you have had occasion to reach out to somebody in order to resolve a problem that you weren't quite sure who you needed to reach out to? Perhaps it was a place where you were needing to, let's do this, I'll just go with the handheld. was a lot of work and now I kind of feel like a mega church pastor I need a leather jacket or something Um, yeah so you you are needing to figure something out there's a problem that has arisen you're not quite sure who you need to address that problem to and so you send off an email or you write a letter to whom it may concern who, who, I don't know who this needs to go to. I, I hope that it gets to the right person. I, I hope that it gets to the person who can solve the issue that I'm dealing with, but to whom it may concern. In some sense, that's a little bit about what is going on here for these mariners as this storm is coming. They're all praying off to all their gods, yet they are not seeing this whom doing anything for them. 
And so they look around and they notice that Jonah is asleep somewhere away. And the captain goes down and says, sleeper, that's, he's not saying that nicely probably. Sleeper, pray to your God, to whom it may concern. Would you, would you reach out to somebody that can maybe make this problem go away? Because things are getting worse. We're losing cargo. We're, we're throwing it over. Thing, things are getting bad. To, to whom it may concern, will you please reach out to that person? It doesn't say that Jonah does. We'll get back to that. They're praying. They're, they're shouting out. And I think for, for some of us here today, we've been in that place. And for some of us here today, we're still in that place. That there are things that are going on in our lives that, that we are calling out, and it sometimes feels like we're just addressing the whom. I'm not sure who needs to hear this. I'm not positive who needs to receive this. But whoever whom is, I hope they get it so that they will act on it. That's where we rest sometimes, isn't it? That's the place of our struggle because we're wrapped up in the flesh. But what we see happen here in the story of Jonah is the whom becomes a who that reveals himself in a very mighty way. So let's follow and track with the story, shall we? He, the mariners, the captain says, sleeper, wake up, and would you pray so that maybe, check this out, perhaps the God or a God or some God will give thought to us. And so they decide to figure out who, who's caused the problem. Since they're not getting a response quick enough, they say, let's, let's figure out who, who's caused the problem. And so they cast lots. And in casting lots, it points out that it is Jonah. Here's a reminder for us, and particularly those of us who have walked a long time uh, in the faith, who've walked with Christ, that God works in ways we don't understand. It doesn't make much sense that the things that these, those who are calling out to all these various other gods, that God would allow himself to be known in their casting of lots. It's good for us to remember that we can't always know the ways that God is wanting to work. That sometimes he will use things that seem so foreign to us for God to work in. So hard for us to comprehend. Why, why would God have that happen? Or why would God use that person who clearly has nothing to do with him to speak a word of truth? Because what we recognize is that God is the author, perfecter, the origin of all truth. And so if it is something that is truth, if it is real, if it aligns with the way that God ordained and created the world, then we must recognize that it can come from God and that he will choose to use it. So when they cast lots and it reveals that it is, in fact, Jonah that has caused the problem, which you think they should have known. He was maybe the only new person on the boat. And they'd not had issues before. How gracious these guys are. 
And so they say to him, okay, you tell us who you are, where you've come from, what country you're from, who are your, let us know everything about you. And this is where Jonah actually begins to step back into his identity. Step back into who God had made him to be. We recognize that when Jonah decides to flee God's call on his life, part of it is a denial of who he is. When we deny who God is, we deny who we are. Because he's the one who's made us and created us. And so here, Jonah begins to recognize who he is again. And he answers them very clearly. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, Yahweh the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, when he says made the sea and the dry land, he's not just speaking of the sea and the dry land. That's an idiom. He's saying everything, that this is the God who is in control of everything. This is the God who is higher than all the other gods that you've been praying about. This is the God who is God, the one true God. And I'm a Hebrew who follows him, who fears him. In that moment, Jonah is beginning to identify, again, not with just his nationality, not with just his occupation, not with just who he thinks he's supposed to be, but who he really is, which is someone created by God to worship him. And then the men were exceedingly fearful, it says. They were already afraid, and now they are more, and they say to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord. I wonder how that conversation went. Did he do that when he was buying his ticket? By the way, I'm just fleeing from the Lord. And they were like, Yeah, yeah, your God's probably not that big if you're able to run away from him. Go ahead and get on board. That's just an aside. So they ask him, what should we do? What is it that we're supposed to do now to quiet the sea? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in because I know it's because of me. But the men can't. Their identity at that moment still rests in what they can accomplish. In what they can do. They are believing that they are the whom. We've been crying out to the whom. We now know who's caused the problem, but maybe we're the whom who should be moving forward. Maybe we're the ones who can solve the problem. Maybe we can figure out what to do. And so they begin to row even harder back to the land. These are mariners. They are seamen. They are the ones who know the way around the sea. They understand that if there is a tempest at the sea, as you get closer to the land, it gets worse. That you have to deal now with rocks and underlying cliffs and the shore. And that you could come in on a massive wave and your ship could definitely be crushed. And yet, in some sort of desire to do what's best for Jonah, they decide to risk their lives even more to go towards the land. As we don't want to hear the who of God and wait for the whom, we often move ourselves into that place. And we will make decisions that while they might look good, are foolish. That will lead us even further to destruction. 
So they keep going as hard as they can until finally they realize they can't go anymore. They're worn out and they pick up Jonah and they toss him into the water. Now I wonder, does, does Jonah have to submerge all the way and then it goes calm? Is it the moment his robe hits the water and then it goes calm? I would say it doesn't tell us. It's probably the robe. Wouldn't that be just so like God to say, boom, he's not even submerged yet. He's just barely touched, just breaking the surface of the water, and it goes calm. And the men respond. The men say to themselves, oh, Lord, you are glorious and mighty. And they offer sacrifices, and they make vows. Before that, of course, they have to fight with themselves and with God and say, don't hold this innocent blood against us. Don't, don't, don't hold what we're about to do against us. The interesting thing that we notice here is that before they say just the word God, but at this place they say, Lord. Lord, don't hold this against us. Lord, we've done as you've pleased. Lord, we give you these oaths. That's God's personal name. That's the name that they've heard Jonah say. So here's this prophet called to be a missionary who decides to run away from people who aren't like him. And God puts him in a boat with people who aren't like him only to say his name so that they can be saved. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ and you are afraid you're going to say the wrong thing when somebody asks you about your faith, stop. Jonah said absolutely the wrong things over and over again. But God still moved to show who he was in a way that is beyond compare. For these mariners encountered the who. The who that is God in his steadfast love pursuing to bring them into whole relationship with himself, with themselves with all others in the place that they were at. He was going to redeem it all, all along, and bring them to the place of knowing him completely. It's interesting that we see Jonah, when he first says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear this God, beginning to know who he is. And then he takes the next step and he says, throw me over. Often for us, the best way to know who we are and who we belong to is through self-sacrifice. It's through going, what am I to give for this? Now, some commentators, when they're looking at Jonah, they, they, they wonder about his uh, desire in this. Because remember, he was called the Nineveh, he was running away from Nineveh. And he probably thinks to himself, I don't want these guys to die, but if I die, then guess what? Nineveh still doesn't get the message. Right? Well, all right, that might be the case. Or it could be that he's recognizing that in order to save these guys, I need to be sacrificed, and that's okay. 
Because God will do what he wants to do. If he wants to save Nineveh, he'll go save Nineveh some other way. And it's all right for me to go in this path because I know who I am now. I am one who fears the Lord. There's a French philosopher who wrote a book on Jonah named Jacques Ellul. He's written several books and different things. But in that book, he says this about Jonah, which I think is just so telling for us. And it points us to something larger. It says, at this point, Jonah takes on the role of a scapegoat. The sacrifice he makes saves them. The sea calms down. He saves them humanly and materially. Jonah is an example of the Christian way. What counts is that this story is in reality the precise imitation of an infinitely vaster story and one which concerns us directly. What Jonah could not do, but his attitude announces, is done by Jesus Christ. He is the one who accepts total condemnation. He goes on to say, Jonah is not Jesus Christ, but he is one in a long line of types of Jesuses, each representing an aspect of what the Son of God will be in totality. And if it's true that the sacrifice of a man who takes his condemnation can save others around him, then this is far more true when it comes to the one whose sacrifice is the Son of God himself. It is solely because... Let me get to the rest of the quote. It is solely because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that the sacrifice of Jonah avails and saves. It is because that Jesus is going to come, that Jesus is going to show up, and that Jesus is going to sacrifice himself. God, in all his magnificence, the one who what controls everything, will self-sacrifice on the cross in order to take the condemnation to save us. And because Jesus does that, it goes back and saves those mariners. So that they know the one true God. So what does that mean for us? It means this. That we have a way to announce and to proclaim and to call out not to some faceless entity of the whom. But we have who is greater, who is mightier, who is control of all the things that are happening. He is the one who is above and beyond. He is the one who can hold us in the tempest. He is the one who can calm the tempest. I know for some of us here, the tempest has not been calmed. We have thrown everything we have at it, and it still rages on. Hear me say this, Christ's sacrifice is holding you. He has brought you maybe even to this humble body <laughs> to be part of that holding. That we like those mariners, are fighting against it with you, churning at all our might 
And though it seems that we're not getting anywhere, we see the glory of God, not in the effort, but in the salvation that he brings in his self-sacrifice. We hold on together in hope, believing that the work that Jesus has done in that self-sacrifice will make us all new someday. That this tempest will cease and end. And that we will see and sit in his glory. And how amazing that will be. The second thing I would say to us is this. Let's not always get caught up in the words and the ways that it's coming at us. There are some times that God reveals himself in ways that seem so different than is the way that he's revealing to us. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's joy. Sometimes it's somebody who says something to us that doesn't even know who Jesus is. Because God is the author and perfecter of truth and he will use what he wants to use in order to bring his back to himself. And so we hold on to that. And it makes us humble knowing that we haven't all figured it out. <laughs> we don't know how it all is going to work out. We can't be the ones that say this and this and this and this and then it's all right. Because it's not. <laughs> so we hold on to knowing that God is bigger and He will use His means and method to bring about the salvation of those He longs to bring about, even if it's prophet running away from Him to be put on a boat with a bunch of pagans who all of a sudden begin Because God will work to bring about what He is bringing about. And so we can rest, trusting and believing that this is his call for us. Let me pray. Father, if there's any words that are not your words, let them burn up and go away. But if there's something that is of you today, let them take root in our hearts and bear good fruit for you. We rest in you today, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.